0: afternoon and welcome to empowering today's hybrid workforce with the optimal digital ecosystem health system cio media inc production sponsored by dell technologies just a little housekeeping before we get started my name is anthony guerra i'm the editor-in-chief of health system cio and i will be your moderator today we're looking forward to your participation you can send in your questions or comments at any time in the q a box and we'll take them later in the program Nice way to view the screen, click on the top center, get it in side-by-side mode, then you can adjust the divider to get the video boxes and the slides, the size you want them, and it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 35-40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Dr. Zafar Chaudhry, SVP and Chief Digital and Information Officer with Seattle Children's, John Henderson, VP and CIO with Chalk Children's, and Sushmit Paul, Healthcare Field Director with Dell Technologies. Well, let's jump right in. A lot of good stuff to talk about today. Uh, Zafar, let's start off with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role?
1: Thank you, Anthony. A pleasure to be here. So, Seattle Children's, the pediatric health system in the Pacific Northwest, we serve Washington, Alaska, Montana, and Idaho. We're a 407 bed hospital that spans 46 sites across four states and within that space, I'm responsible for digital health and also lights on doors open IT. (laughs)
0: That's the good stuff, the old stuff. Um, John, um, a little bit about your organization and role.
2: Sure, thanks Anthony. Um, We're located in Southern California. Uh, We are a two hospital system, uh, 400 beds. Uh, Our main campus is the larger, 355 beds there. Um, 25 plus primary cares uh, throughout uh, the region. And we also have another 30 plus self specialists. Um, we are uh, approximately 5,000 associates and another 700 providers uh, serving uh, the Orange County area.
3: Very good, John, thank you. Shushmit? Yeah, thanks, Anthony. Uh, very, very glad to be on this webinar. My name is Shushmit Pal. I'm a part of Dell Technologies. We are a global company uh, focused on essential technology solutions, infrastructure, services. And we have a group that is focused on healthcare. That's where I roll up under. My role specifically is to figure out what are the right solutions at the edge? How can we use the different types of edge technologies to improve clinician experience in their workflow and make healthcare uh, workforce more productive? So looking forward to Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I think that's um, that's what we do. We kind of approach it for the technology side, but as uh, I'm sure we'll get into this, people at the process—they that's really where things start. So, um, looking forward to hearing and uh, uh, from Zafar and John on what kind of outcomes they're trying to drive, and then we'll get to the technology from there. Very good.
0: All right, first question, Zafar. We're going to start with you. By segment, and I think of it as sort of clinical on one side and then sort of everything else and everything else would be IT, administrative, operational, because I see those as being quite distinct. Um, Describe the ways your organization's employees want to work today. Are you able to provide them with this experience? If not, how close are you getting?
1: Yeah, so certainly in our organization, driven obviously by the pandemic, we had to pivot to a hybrid workforce. And when we pivoted, we had 4,000 people who needed and wanted to work from home. As the pandemic has evolved, we've realized that actually a certain number of individuals can continue to work from home in that hybrid environment and want to. You know, it's their preference. It avoids travel, commute, et cetera. And so we have about 3,000 plus people that will permanently work from home moving forwards uh, And we've been able to provide the technology to connect them uh, no matter where they are so it's worked very well and i think that's the future for us as a health system
0: and what about the clinicians i mean that's a totally different animal right the clinicians have to come in they want to work in all different places so do you see it as two kind of different segments it's the clinicians and everybody else
1: yeah i think it's based on use case i would say that there is a percentage of clinicians who are able to take virtual care calls from any location. And so not every physician needs to come in. You can take ambulatory visits through telehealth. And pre-pandemic, we didn't really have a strong telehealth program, but we do now. And so I think you are seeing a hybrid environment as well with the physicians. In terms of coming to main campus and hospital, We did also provide virtual rounding so that we could get a multitude of uh, clinical staff involved on site and remotely, as well as parents dialing into that virtual rounding event. And that's been very well received as well.
0: And do you feel like you were, uh, how how far do you feel, how close are you to where you want to be? Are there things that the staff, that the employees want that are in progress, that are going to take more time? So how close are you? that that state people want
1: no i think our program is more or less fully baked we have Mm -hmm. a 24 7 technical service desk available for those employees that work from home our program is called sc at work we have shipped home working kits to all of those employees they have new laptops multiple screens keyboards headsets whatever they need Mm -hmm. and they have technical support provided on all of that equipment on a 24-hour around twenty-four hour turnaround time. So we, we spent a lot of time building that program. And at the same time, our physical office space has been reduced. We've canceled leases, closed offices to support that program. We believe that this program over 10 years will save us $100 million.
0: Well, all right. Very good. Uh, John, your thoughts?
2: Uh, very, very similar. Um, we kind of look at it between our clinical, uh, team and our non-clinical. Um, you know, right now we're about, uh, we have about 1500 folks working remote. Um, and about half of those, you know, their preference, you know, we just did a survey in January, uh, to kind of get a sense of, you know, what, what people's preference are. Do they still want to continue to, uh, to work the way they're working? Uh, half of them said they wanted to stay fully, uh, uh, in a hybrid model, you know, telecommuting come in periodically and uh, 46% said, I want to stay fully remote, um, which was quite different from when we first started. It was a, it was a much different mix. Uh, the number of folks who uh, have shifted to hybrid uh, has increased by about 20% um, from when we first launched. So uh, a little bit different than what we thought. Uh, the number of folks who want to stay fully remote, um, that increased uh, as well. Um, But, you know, also some of the feedback we got was they felt we are providing uh, the capabilities that they need, Uh, much like uh, Zafar mentioned that we provide homework kits. uh, And as we onboard new new associates to the organization that are fully remote, uh, we ship those kits to them and they get fully set up. Um, You know, I think from a physician perspective, uh, we are seeing a number of physicians um, that are doing more telehealth remotely. Um, and then also even some of our physicians who have leadership roles, um, whereas with pre-pandemic, they never work from home. So now you're seeing them with, when they're doing their administrative responsibilities, they're, they're working from home as well. Um, so we see it, uh, the model really continuing. Uh, I think from kind of what could we still do differently or better? Um, the, the conference room virtual experience is still very fragmented for us. Um, and So what I mean by that is, so for those who are on site, if you go to a conference room and you join in a virtual meeting, the folks who are actually working from home, they join that meeting. Um, our our conference rooms aren't really configured for uh, a more seamless, a more integrated experience. And so that's one of the things that we're going to have to address. Um, we're trying to take our approach with, as we re- refresh uh, our conference rooms, really redesigning them so that it can be more of an more of that telepresence-like experience because we know we're going to stay in that hybrid mode. Uh, and We want the, want the engagement to, to really be there. Um, and so that's really the experience that's not really great right now.
0: Is, are you thinking about the metaverse for, for <laughs> things like that? Is that? Does that come to mind? That comes to mind for me. I don't know much about it. I've read some stuff about it, but does that well, come into play? It,
2: um, I, I'm, I'm adopting a wait and see on that one. Um, <laughs> But I I think there's other things. I think there's other tools. Um, uh, We're we're waiting on some gear to come in. You know, with the supply chain shortages, things are taking a little bit longer to get to to, to arrive. So we are going to pilot two conference rooms. We're redesigning them a slight bit. And some of the uh, equipment that we're bringing in, we hope will Will give you more of that telepresence and more integrated feel. We'll see how and it so, goes.
0: So, you're picturing you have a certain amount of people in a conference room, five, 10 people in a conference room, and you also need to have 15 to 20 people joining that conference remotely. Right. How do you create an integrated experience so everyone feels like a part of that meeting, so everyone can speak when they want to speak and be heard? people get the floor without speaking over each other type of thing. You're trying to figure out how do we do that? Yes. And you're saying it's going to include a physical redesign of the conference room with, with and bringing in new technologies in that room, correct?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Really interesting. Now, I, I'll, I'll say, now, I'll, I'll give you a caveat. We may be a little bit unique. Um, we have some conference rooms that haven't <clears throat> been um, upgraded in a really long time. Okay. Um, now we have some that have, but even with those, um, if you think you think about conference rooms that were designed with round tables, those are really hard to create a more seamless integrated experience where you can really engage. If you have ten people in that conference room and another ten to fifteen remote, mm-hmm. those are those are the ones that are more difficult. And we have a number of those uh, that are designed that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, it makes me think about the, you know, the intersection of the physical world and the technical world. I mean, you're, you're the CIO and yet you're saying this round table is an issue. That's got nothing to do with technology in a sense. Mm -hmm. And in a sense it does. So, you know, things are revolving. The areas that CIOs have to play in are expanding. Correct.
2: Agreed. Absolutely. You know, I think, I mean, more and more around, just business models. I mean, you know, obviously we have to bring new technology, keep the lights on, and, and keep the day to day running, but we're driving everything that an a hospital needs to do for the future. Um, all of our top line strategies are heavily driven by technology enablement. Um, I'm sure Zafar uh, could say the exact same thing.
0: Zafar, you want to jump in on that? Yeah,
1: I mean, I completely agree. The immersive experience is key, and at the same time, not only are we fighting for talent in the IT space, but also in the clinical space. So if you don't provide the best experience and the flexibility that people want in today's environment, then we certainly, where we are based in Seattle, we will lose and do lose talent to people across the street right? Because the, most of the tech companies are across the street. And even from a clinical perspective, you know, if you're a pediatrician with a specialty, you can work for us, you can go work for John's organization, you know, it's probably sunnier where John is. So, so <laughs> we're also competing, you know, on, on weather and things, but really that immersive experience. And I agree with John, having that conference room experience is very important. We, we were lucky because prior to pandemic, We had already started a program of rip and replace all of our rooms simply because we have to communicate amongst our 46 sites and people wouldn't be able to commute and travel. And so we have done that work. So we were ready for that sort of immersive experience. What I can tell you is that from a support service perspective, we're still not seeing a lot of people attending site. People are still dialing in versus actually coming in. So where we have maybe 2,000 hoteling spaces in our downtown location, on average, we only see about 20 people, and that's where I'm based. And so it, it's scarce to see a human being in three dimensions these days, certainly in our environment.
0: So um, I'm, uh, Shushman, I'm, I'm going to get to you in a second. I know I have been over there soon. Um, what do you make of that, so far? the fact that you're not seeing the anticipated Number of people coming in, you're not seeing it. What do you make of that, and how does that inform your your path for the future?
1: Well, I don't think we've seen any impact on productivity whilst mm-hmm. people are working from home. I think we have to take into consideration that not only are people dealing with they have to do their workload, but they have to homeschool their kids, they have to deal with the babysitting issues, they have family members that are sick, they have lost family members. Uh, due to the pandemic. So I just think that it's the sign of the times. People will do what they need to do in order to get the work done. Certainly that's what I've seen from my teams, but at the same time, leadership can't really prescribe a model of working when people are just sort of treading water trying to get through all of this.
0: Right. So it they're, they're not coming in the numbers you expected, but the work's getting done, so it's okay, but it may... Uh, help you decide that we don't need as much of these spaces, right? We don't need as many. So that's how it might change your actions, correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we've already done a percentage of that. Quite a few leases have been canceled and we've consolidated to real estate that we actually own. But the trend is showing that certainly for support services, HR, IT, finance, they really very infrequently need to come to to two-site The only IT teams that need to be on site are usually desktop or clinical engineering. And they do, they have consistently been on site, but, you know, if you're a person who's, who's programming code for a mobile app, do you really need to be in a, in an office on site? You probably only come in just to do some testing with end users. So I think we need to understand that. And I think messaging from leadership has to also be clear. I've seen a lot of, back and forth in this domain space. You know, you've seen technology companies say, oh, people should come into the office, we're ready to open, and then two days later, they're announcing, oh, we've decided to change that. Mm -hmm. We've not taken that approach at Children's. I've been consistently clear with my team, I really don't care where you work from, Starbucks, look at me, I'm working from my car right now, it's absolutely fine. As long as you can get the job done, attend the meetings, and things are moving forwards and and that's been well received.
0: Very good. Shushma, thank you for for being patient. Um there's tons of stuff there. Just jump in where you want. Give me your thoughts.
3: Yeah, and no, a great discussion. I think um let me just touch on Dell Technologies a little bit and how we responded to this in the last two years. And then I want to do want to comment on the things Jazafar and John mentioned. So with Dell Technologies, we had a work, connected workplace program for for many years, and so uh, for even prior to the pandemic, most of our employees were were working remote at least part time remote. Um, so there was a program that was in place, which just needed to be scaled. So things like uh, the number of people connecting from VPN through VPN from remote increased from around like 30, 35000 pre pandemic to like. 120,000 within a matter of a couple of weeks. So those things were major things uh, that, 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 but we had the infrastructure and we had some of the processes in place. So we, uh, I guess that served well. Going forward, what we are seeing is exactly what Zafar and John, you are talking about this sort of a, like, how do you continue and sustain this model? because it's one thing to get someone up and running for a couple of weeks to work from home, but it's a whole different thing if they have to work, you know, eight to 10 hours a week, or whatever the number is, and across weeks and months. And we are starting to see that that fatigue start to click in. And based on your role, there are some jobs and job descriptions that may work very well. Like uh, Zafar, you mentioned the the non-clinical and the support services. But we have also seen others where you might need to do a whiteboard with your team to explain how something works, or you might need to have a more in-person, you know, uh, to understand what are your real challenges. And so you want to get into, in, into a room. So we are trying to think through how, and obviously you cannot solve all of those problems with technology, right? Even as we are doing this, this uh, virtual webinar, if you if you see through a Zoom or a Teams call, it's very difficult to maintain eye contact because the camera is not right on your eyes. And so I'm not really seeing you or I'm not really able to gauge your your body response as I'm talking. So we are thinking in those directions on how what are the next set of technologies that will help improve your virtual experience, improve that conference room experience where you might have three people in the room, very engaged, drawing stuff on the whiteboard, putting sticky notes, but then there are three others on the Zoom or Teams who are feeling like they're not able to participate in a meaningful way. So I think that's where it is is headed, a kind of a hybrid model and the flexibility is key, like Zafar mentioned. Um, There there is obviously technology, but there's also a training gap. There's there's gonna be some level of support that you would need to provide some training and and, uh, orientation of employees to be able to start to use those technologies in a meaningful way.
0: All right, very good. Let's go to our next question. Okay, John, let's start with you. How do IT organizations need to evolve to support this workforce we mentioned? And there's a couple issues and Shushma talked about some of them. You've got connectivity, speed, bandwidth, challenges associated with images, which is an, another thing. You've got large images. You've got your security issues, your PHI information and your non-PHI, and the home office setup, which, which has its own bit of challenges. Uh, the last mile of connectivity when, you know, it's, it's that long uh, chain uh, and it's diagnosing where in that chain the issue is. And if the issue is at the home, then uh, probably you probably have limited uh, ability to solve the problem other than telling them how they can go about solving it, which is never received well for someone who's having an issue. They never want to hear how they can go solve it somewhere else. Um, and then the uh, support, as Zafar mentioned, the 24-7 support, and I think you said that they would receive resolution, I think you said within the next 24 hours, but you can clarify that, Zafar, in a moment. So, John, let's start with you.
2: Right. So so I I think the the key thing, you know, we're 24-7 as well um, to provide support. But, you know, it's not uh, specific to just the remote workforce. That's really across the board. But really, I think what we've seen so far is we gave a lot of guidance early on with here's what we are recommending for your Internet connectivity. Um, And we gave those those guidelines very deliberately because. Um, we knew there was going to be some challenges. Uh, in addition to it, we wound up doing what we called a tech stipend, um, so folks could have the additional compensation to increase uh, their connectivity speeds with their with their ISPs. So we did those t- sorts of things. Um, and so some of the other things we did was we we kind of put together some recommendations on mm-hmm. video. So, for instance, uh, we gave them several different recommendations, not, not solely just, hey, buy a new webcam or we provide you a new webcam, but also think about um, you can use extra other devices to do your video so you are not really have all that processing happening uh, with, with, with your laptop. So we gave a lot of recommendations along those types of things uh, to really help people uh, get comfortable and also have a, a really good experience. But I think the other thing we've done is, you know, we've we've helped people understand that there's apps to help understand uh, your, your, your you know speed test uh, mm-hmm. for your home network. And so now um, they're doing all of those things themselves. So typically, you know, as you mentioned, um, no one wants to say, well, you're going to have to fix this piece yourself. I think now what we see when when folks do call in to our desk and they're having trouble, they've really done everything, mm-hmm. you know, They've gotten more up to speed on all the things you can check to make sure it's not their network. Uh, and so we've seen a, a much better, I'll say, exchange between folks that do call in when they have an issue and our ability to troubleshoot determine, are we having a problem with our virtual environment? Uh, or is it a problem with our VPN uh, 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 connectivity platform? So we're able to really hone in on those things really quickly. and it makes the troubleshooting a, a, a bit easier for us. Um, I think that you know the, the security piece, um, we don't really treat it any differently. Um, whether you're access, someone who accesses PHI or PI or not, we're not looking to treat um, how we secure it differently. because whether you have access to PHI or not, if we don't have good security hygiene and you're someone who never interacts with PHI and you get compromised, Once you're in my network, you can get you can get you can get to a lot of different places so you can find that PHI. So we don't look to to create a difference with with how we approach it. Um, I'll tell you one thing we haven't done. um, And and I've been surprised that there hasn't been a lot of folks beating my door down is the ability to print at home. So we don't allow printing at home. Um, And there's been a few I've had a few uh, conversations around some individuals who wanted to do that. Uh, and so we're, we're looking, you know, we said, okay, well, we're not we're not going to allow it right now because right now I can't control what you're doing. And that creates risk for the organization because you have access to tons of PHI. And if you're printing PHI at home, you know, I don't even know if you're in a secure location. And so we've kind of prevented that or not allowed it. But we are starting to look at uh, introducing some of the tools that we have that allow us to really understand how much you're printing and what you're printing uh, for those unique scenarios where, okay, we need to really, they really need to print. Uh, so we're looking at those types of things.
0: Yeah. And, and that has come up in, in previous discussions where uh, printing was a big issue uh, and and the IT folks didn't, they just didn't want to have any part of it, so to speak. So uh, it's interesting that, that you're trying to, you're trying to deal with some of the challenges around that to give people some flexibility with printing Uh, I suppose someone might say in order in order to do the work properly that I need to do, I need to look at this on paper. And it may just be the way I prefer to work, you know, whether it's a large report or a large data set. um, I want this to print out and I want to use a pen and that's going to help me Mm -hmm. deal with this better. I mean, is that is that Well, you said? They're not beating down your door. But when they do come to your door, I would imagine that's kind of what they're saying.
2: It's, a, it's exactly that sort of scenario. And and I'll tell you, the majority of the conversations, when you start to really talk through and understand what are they really trying to do, and you outline, okay, well, here's a way you can do that with the technology that we provide and, and, and not have to print. Hmm. Can you try that out first? And if that doesn't work, if it's still not working for you, then come back. Um, and by and large, they don't come back. Um, uh-huh. And so we've seen a lot of that. But when it is, it's if someone, if, so if you're dealing, if you're reading a, a hundred page contract, you're probably going to want to print something out because you're marking, you know, you want a red line, you want right. to highlight it. Right. So it's a very different, very different scenario. Um, so in, in in that regard, okay, yeah, you do need to print. Um, so it, it's use case based, but um, uh, it's really those kind of, I'll call them those edge cases um, where where the, where the need is really there.
0: Zafar, uh, you got the question on the screen, I don't know if you could see it, but it's basically that uh, the connectivity security in the home office setup, and then if you want to touch on the printing issue, if if that's also something that you're working through.
1: So we've seen a similar trend. Certainly, we can't guarantee connectivity in, in people's homes, so we've prescribed uh, what minimum requirements are, but there's also a requirement in our organization that if you are a work from home individual, you won't move to a location that, you know, you're on a boat somewhere and you just can't get a connection. What we've seen from use cases is the problem isn't usually people's internet connection, it is their wifi routing. Many people have, you know, one gig connections in their homes in Seattle and then decided to buy a $20 router to sit on top of it and then decided to have five video calls at the same time. And then they blamed us because they couldn't connect whilst their kids were doing Zoom schooling. So we, we provided a lot of advice and guidance on how to set up a Wi-Fi network, what technologies we recommend you buy, what vendors we recommend you buy. And certainly even at our executive level, uh, a quick $99 new Wi-Fi router has solved a lot of the I can't connect issues So we've Mm. certainly done that. From a security perspective, I agree we do have to protect PHI. We do, however, allow people to print based on user profile. So there are certain people who do need to print a contract or HIM people who do need to print some things out. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you are that person, you will be provided special access to do that printing, but you will also be required to have a shredder at home. Mm. To, to shred any documents once you've finished with them. And of course, there's the code of conduct, right? We, we do expect employees to there's an implicit privacy if you work in a hospital, so we do that. Um, but yeah, it's it's difficult to support people's homes. I think the bigger thing we've seen is ergonomic issues. So not everybody has a lot of space. I've seen a lot of my own employees work from the dining room table for the past few years that's not great. So as part of our work from home program, we have provided each employee with a $500 stipend to buy a desk or a relevant an associated ergonomic chair so that they have uh, a better environment. If they really don't have space at home, they can book a hoteling space on one of our sites and actually come in. And some people do do that when they when they need to get away from the kids mm-hmm. and, uh, and actually uh, do some work in, in in quiet spaces so that's that has been provided as well and of course um, the other thing that we don't tend to talk about in technology conversations is working from home does have its mental health challenges in the sense that we still need to see people so if you stay at home for two years and don't interact with your colleagues, that has a toll on people. And so, you know, one of the questions that I will have for this group at the end of this is, you know, do you have any advice on how you're handling that tension and pressure? You know, people don't step away from the laptop when they're at home. And and how do we handle that?
0: It's Great stuff. And, and we will certainly get to that. And your um, your statement about people working at the dining room table is accurate. Literally, my brother-in-law for the last however long has been working at the dining room table, uh, poor guy, and he's nowhere near being ergonomically sound in his seat setup. Um, Shushmit, uh, your thoughts on the latest conversation?
3: Yeah, um, so on the connectivity side, I think John and for both of you mentioned, there are a lot of technologies out there to optimize the home network and make sure that, um, You know, if you have a Netflix streaming with your kids Zooming on uh, Zoom schooling going on, and then maybe your wife is also working on another call, then, yeah, so what can you do? And uh, there are technologies that can uh, prioritize based on the applications and and provide a certain level of application-specific SLA so that Mm -hmm. your... Zoom call or your wife's Zoom call gets priority versus all the Netflix streaming. So we have done a few of that, and I know Dell rolled out um, an SD-WAN solution in some cases where people uh, would need it. On the healthcare side, I've seen some customers look at radiologists who are downloading medical images and need them in a timely way to read and and, uh, get access to those images in a timely manner. That could be uh, uh, something to look at. Um, but I'm very um, interested in, and excited about the, the discussion around the home office setup because there's many aspects to it. You mentioned working from the kitchen table. That's that is uh, a reality in many cases. Or the couch even worse, right? Mm. So what do you do about scenarios where your employees and are are um, you know develop things like carpal tunnel syndrome or a back pain or or some sort of a mental health issue because of the isolation and because of the... So is there, uh, from an organization perspective, how should we think about it and what role does IT have to play
2: there? Yeah, go ahead. So one of the things we did as we rolled this out, we actually um, engaged a third party that focuses on ergonomics. And so we offer this service to all of our remote folks. they do a self-assessment, um, they offer coaching on, and tips on how to improve your ergonomics, whether you're, you know, whether you have a, uh, a dedicated workspace, um, you can get on calls with, with their organization and kind of work through some of those challenges that you may be having and, and try to figure out the best way to, to really uh, uh, set up your, your environment um, for maximum ergonomics. Um, and it's been, really, it's been really, really well received um, it, it doesn't you know, it doesn't really solve fully if you're working from the dining room table or if you, you, know, you, work, you don't have a, a real space to work from, but they do give you other ways to do different exercises and uh, things to really help. Uh, and, and as Var mentioned, taking the break is really it's, it's something we all struggle with. It's something that uh, we really push and promote um, to, uh, to not have your meetings run back to back. We set our calendar, uh, our meeting uh, defaults to to less than uh, uh, a full hour, and for if, if in, in less than thirty minutes. So at least if you're, you're it's, it's going to default. You're going to at least get a little five minutes between uh, your meetings, five to ten minutes between meetings. So you can take those breaks, um, but it's a really hard thing to change from a culture perspective, um, from a from a man, managing your meetings and just being back to back and just kind of having. Um, I'm going to call it having um, uh, some meeting etiquette to allow people to move from one meeting to the next uh, without just always being back to back to back. Um, we, we struggle with it, we're making some progress, but it is a big uh, culture shift. Mm-hmm. The sitting yeah, has become I like new
3: smoking, right? Say sit, that again? Sit, like sitting has become the new smoking. Mm -hmm. We are spending so much time in front of our PC. And again, from a technology standpoint, when we look at Dell Technologies, obviously, the PC is what is a lot of most people are staring at a PC for majority of the time in the day. So the way we are thinking about is how can we make that experience more uh, optimal and uh, improve the the user experience there? So what you're going to see is uh, many of this was announced at CES earlier in the year, where uh, the way the PC connects to multiple available access points in the in, in, in your building. So we are looking at that. We are looking at the way perf- uh, the performance of applications. So when you log into your laptop, if there are, you know, you open up Outlook and Excel and the PowerPoint every day in the morning, these three applications are the first things you do. Can the PC learn your behavior and make it quicker and faster to load these? So these are some of the things that I you know we are, we are doing is a is a part of a uh, uh, drive towards making your PC more intelligent.
0: All right, very good. Couple of audience questions I want to get to. Um John, let's start with you. What arrangements are in place for hardware failures? Service desk support is fine for software or application issues, but not physical failures.
2: Right, so we have a we have a ship and replace uh, uh, policy. So if your hardware fails um, and you're, you know, let's say you're you're not close, um, so we'll ship it to you, um, and we'll ship it out, and then you you know, we'll pick up uh, and put it in uh, put it out for UPS and uh, ship it back to us. So we have that swap and replace policy for those folks who are actually relatively close and can drive in. Um, we we have set up for them to to drive by. They don't even have to come into the physical building. Um, they just text us that they're that they've arrived, and we bring out their device. We uh, take the one out of their trunk, take it in, repair it, and kind of do that swap and replace. Um, we started that uh, quite a while back. Uh, received a lot of uh, positive responses, and so we decided to keep it in place.
0: Okay, that works well. Yeah. Okay, very good. Zafar. Your thoughts on that question?
2: The
1: same. We have uh, ship and replace. OK. Uh, and you can drive through and, and collect a device, but we're tending to see people um, request a replacement, and it's shipped to them. Since we deployed all new equipment, we're not seeing a lot of failure right now.
0: OK, OK, not a big issue. Sounds good. Has the panel seen a demand uh, from new staff to work remotely as a basic contractual requirement? And is this something that will differentiate organizations going forward? Zafar? I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Sure. Has the panel seen a demand from new staff to work remotely as a basic contractual requirement? And is this something that will differentiate organizations going forward?
1: Yeah, so absolutely. As we're bringing in new people, people want that flexibility to work from anywhere. So we have expanded our hiring practices So we hire in Washington, Alaska, Montana, Idaho, Texas, Georgia, and Florida. And from a technology point of view, we now have people in Texas and Florida who don't want to move to the Seattle region, but do want to work for our organization. And I do think that employers in our space need to expand probably to every state and allow people to work from wherever they need to depending on the job role so obviously you know if you're a clinician you need to come and work on one of our sites but yeah i mean if you if you're doing service desk support you can do that from any location as long as you you fit with the timelines um time zones so i think you're going to have to do that from a flexibility point of view
0: right and um Shushman, um so that means that you have to provide that good remote experience. if you if you want to be able to access the talent remotely that everyone seems like is going to be necessary. you're going to have to expand beyond the physical uh, location um, and you're going to have to give people more opportunity to so you can go to other states. That means you have to provide a good remote working environment and that means you need the technologies.
3: And, and also that distributed nature. Now you have uh, employees potentially in other states where you're uh, um, that, that you need to serve. And so the, it also creates some challenges with your distribution model, where you may have a centralized distribution model with a warehouse in one, one city or one state. How do you get all of those equipment out in a timely way? So, one of the ways uh, Dell Technologies has tried to address it is. Uh, is to look at what kind of services can be pushed back into the supply chain. Things where if you need to send an equipment to a remote user in Florida, can Dell do it more efficiently by just uh, provisioning, imaging the the device in, in our factory and shipping it directly versus having to ship it to California and then you ship it back to Florida. So efficiencies like that could be, could be be um, uh, would would be important going forward as you have more and more distributed workforce. Very
0: good, John. And, and as far as that contractual requirements, I suppose people uh, don't want to be hired remotely and then leave themselves open to a sudden requirement that they, you know, oh, hey, by the way, it's not working out, you got to move here. But they're putting it in there. What are you seeing around
2: that? Right, no, you're right. So w- the approach we've taken really is, We've really set up all of our job profiles uh, within Workday. So we've labeled every job that's remote, that's a remote uh, job, uh, and ones that are not remote eligible. And so as we hire uh, new hires, um, that job is remote and that's the expectation. Uh, and so that's kind of how we set it because that, that flexibility that was talked about earlier, that's really the key. Um, if they choose down the road that they want to come in and they want to be more on site, you know that's that's a conversation we can have, but we are fully expecting that this remote kind of hybrid uh, workforce is uh, it's just going to be here. It's just a new model,
0: right, right. And so what we're talking about is making it leveraging technology to make it work as well as it can work. And that's what we're talking about the conferencers, which I think is super important. You know the printing is kind of an interesting issue where either you get it by roll. Um but then if and so far I want to come back to you on that real quick. You said it goes by role. If somebody who's whose role does not give them that automatic access, can they make a specific one-off request and who processes that request and then decides if that person can print based on that specific request?
1: So yes, absolutely. Any employee can make a request for printing uh capability, but that would go to their manager. So we would okay. we would log the call, but it would need to be approved by their leader as to what the use case is, and then our security team can unblock that access.
0: Right, right. Okay. That's good. That makes sense. Um, Next question. For healthcare clinics, how would you recommend getting leadership buy-in for certain roles that traditionally are in-person but could work remotely? How does one encourage leaders to make the transformation? John?
2: Well, you know, I think it really starts with what is your, really understanding what is is your clinic need from a day-to-day operations perspective, and can you still deliver not only the the clinical care that you're there for, but also the administrative support. Um, Once you understand that, then you can really determine which roles uh, you can offer uh, to be some sort of hybrid remote. So for instance, some of our practice administrators, they're responsible for multiple locations. Um, and so if you think about it, they were already working remote because they're not in each one of their clinics every day, eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. So they may have a home-based clinic that they spend the majority of their time in and then they round periodically in those other clinics. So they were already working remote pre-pandemic, just people didn't really look at it in that manner. So it was that's an easier conversation to say, well, I'm going to work from home a couple of days a week. I'm still going to be able to do my administrative responsibilities. I'm still going to round in my clinic, in my other clinics, and as long as the outcomes are there, then everyone feels feels comfortable and feels good about that. So, I think you really just have to focus on 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 those operations for the clinics and ensure you can still achieve the goals that you have set.
0: All right, very good. I want to go to our ask a co-panelist section. Uh, Zafar, you had mentioned a question you wanted to pose. I think you have it top of mind. So um, let's uh, let's have at it. Yeah. So
1: my question to the panel really is, is how are you handling mm-hmm. your, your staff, your staff's mental health as mm-hmm. part of this journey of, you know, isolation working from home? And any tips you may have that you could share?
2: John, mm-hmm. let's start with you. Sure. So, what we've really done—I mean, our HR group has offered uh, different um, uh, services through through our benefits plan. But what we've kind of done specifically is, um, I've set up an office hour. So every Tuesday at eight thirty, anyone can join. We just talk. They, have, you know, they can ask me any question, uh, whatever the topic is—not does not be work related. Um, but also, um, we've made sure that we've cleared out uh, Fridays for no meeting days. Um, and that came at the request of our, our frontline folks. Um, and so we've been really intentional about sticking to that. And so that what that means is sometimes I have to talk to some of my peers and say, hey, I know you want my folks in a meeting on Friday, but they're not going to be able to be there. We've cleared that day. Um, and so unless it's urgent, um, then we make those kind of accommodations. But if it's not urgent, we, we're asking folk, people to respect that. Um, and then I think the other thing is, uh, we've done a lot of work with our leadership team around how do you really check in with your teams to to make sure they uh, they're doing well uh, and they're not overwhelmed with uh, the amount of work we have in front of us because everyone has just the demand is always more than you can supply it and so we're having we have a lot of those types of sessions and what we're seeing and what at least what I'm hearing from some of our informal uh, check-ins and uh, say our virtual uh, virtual check-ins is people are really feeling comfortable and feeling like they're getting the type of connectedness to uh, their leader to just talk about anything, not just the work. And that's been really, really beneficial. Um, we do a lot of things with uh, kind of virtual fun events um, that uh, our, our administrative folks have uh, really put on for us, and those things uh, have been uh, really beneficial to, uh, for for our folks of uh, mental health. Just to get them out of the mode of uh, it's not all about the work. We actually care about uh, uh, how you're doing and want to make sure you're having some fun uh, and not just
3: focus solely on the work.
0: Uh, I love the no meeting Fridays. Absolutely love it. Sushmit, anything you want to add on that?
3: Um, so, Dell within, within Dell Technologies, we have had a program called Well at Dell for many years, and it have, ties into your medical benefits. And uh, but also with them on the well-being side, there are certain things that you know you get, you know, incentivized for different activities and all. But this year, for the first time, I've seen a, a, a focus on mental health and front and center. It has always been there, but. This year, there's a renewed focus. There's another organization that's been uh, pulled into a part of, uh, made a part of Well at Dell that's offering mental health services. And there are like 12 sessions that are available to every employee free of cost. And it could range from any topic you want. You just sign up and you you get um, those 12 sessions to to talk to a coach or to a mentor or to a counselor. I thought that was, that was really good. Um, because one of the things that is true about this is, you know, as we work more hybrid and remote, efficiency is, has improved and which we'll, I, I want to ask a question on that uh, later on. But there's also another reality where the social connectedness and the, the emotional and the social uh, you know uh, interactions have also declined. So employees, may not be talking to their co-workers in the same way as they're not going out for lunch or coffee or as often as they used to. So how do you address that? And um, maybe it is through happy hours from like, I know my in our team, we used to have a a, a happy hour on one of the days of the week, not a Friday afternoon, but <laughs> maybe a Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> and we would just come in and and share a drink on a Zoom call. And even that, um, we would just talk about things outside work. I, I thought that was a really good, uh, and it kind of opened up the conversations a little bit more. But yeah, it's, a, it's, it's definitely a, a new thing, and there are certain, uh, the mental health aspect is definitely very, very real, and it's good to see organizations sort of take a more focus on on this and offering some of these uh, free counseling sessions is would be a good way to start.
0: Excellent. Very good. All right. Uh, Shushman, why don't you uh, pose your question to your co-panelists?
3: Yeah. So we, um, we spoke a lot about remote work, hybrid worker. I'm, I'm, I want to ask you about how do you uh, measure productivity? How do you assess your workers and, and how has, it changed from before and after. So uh, anyone, John, far whoever wants So far, wants
0: to... let's start with you on that.
3: So
1: we don't have or use any software to look at what employees are de- doing during the day. The way in which we measure productivity is based on our operational planning and our project planning. So as far as everybody knows at the beginning of the year, how many projects they're working on and what, lights on doors open, tasks they have to do, and that's how we know. We, we strive to achieve over 90% delivery on those operational planning items. And it's very easy to measure whether someone's falling behind on a major project or not, or if they're doing maintenance on equipment, timelines are always provided and they have to meet those timelines. So that's really how we, we keep a close eye on uh, how employees are working. Beyond that, I don't think we need to be super draconian about what people are doing.
2: John, I, I, I completely agree. I, I actually have a love-hate relationship with the word productivity because it, it gives a false sense of you getting quality and, and, and value. The higher the, the higher the output, um, then that represents value, and it's it's not really the case. So yeah, you know, we focus on our portfolio and our delivered uh, outcomes for that. Uh, and even just with keeping the lights on and running the day-to-day operations, yeah, we have service levels, um, but it, it's, not, it, it's, just, it's just normal operations. Um, and we really are focusing on how are we enhancing uh, uh, and optimiza- optimizing our, 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 our enterprise systems, our EMR, um, how are we improving uh, our workspace for the remote, fo- remote workforce, uh, and how are we driving value with uh, our digital, uh, digital planning? Uh, and it's really focused on those types of things. We're not doing any monitoring to determine how often you're logged in uh, or any of those types of things. What we've promoted and even just beyond i t is focus on outcomes and if you have good outcomes measures, then everything else will take, will fall into place and if your folks are challenged, they're gonna do what they they're gonna they're gonna meet you they're gonna meet you where you need to need to be and if they don't uh, then that just that may mean that they're just not able to perform the role. Uh, and that would be no different than pre-pandemic. Uh, and so you deal with those things in the same way.
0: All right. I want to get to one more audience question. Recognizing we as IT professionals are comfortable with alternate slash remote work environments, have your organization's internal customers been supportive of this model, given clinical care requires on-site patient-facing activity, Do you sense the internal customers will prefer a transition back to on-site support as COVID impacts are reduced? Have you considered a hybrid model as the permanent model in response to customer concerns? Have you had IT employees requesting to come back on-site? So I think the main one there is, you know, especially around clinical care, we talk about how we can do telehealth, we can do that. But what are you hearing from the patients? Are you generally hearing that they're good, or are you hearing that uh, people want that face-to-face? I know the telehealth numbers are down from what was close to 100% to maybe 20, as the numbers I've heard. So Zafar, your thoughts? Yeah, I
1: agree. The telehealth numbers have dropped to the to the numbers you're quoting there. I think it's based on use case, right? So it, it depends on what what IT is supporting. So certainly in our environment, clinical engineering is part of my group. And you can't fix and bedside monitor remotely in many cases, you actually have to come out, swap the equipment and do that. So what we've tried to do is provide an environment on our main hospital campus where certain IT people can reside safely and then go as and when needed uh, to the clinical areas, the operating rooms, uh, re- replacing and swapping out da- desktops etc. So I do think that there will be a component depending on what your IT function looks like on site. There is some resistance and old school thinking still. You know, if you've been if you've been in the clinical space for 40 years, yeah, you do struggle with the whole person isn't coming to see you and you have to dial into a call. That's always going to remain, but I I think yeah, the hybrid workforce is here to stay. If you try to change that back to 100% on site, make people commute two hours a day to work, you're just going to lose those people to, well, for us across the street, because mm-hmm. they are providing that mm-hmm. flexibility.
0: Right, right. All right. Well, um, I want to get a sort of a lightning round of parting thoughts. Um, your best advice, obviously, there's. I think the questions, the conversation today, is uh, the technologies are there uh, for the hybrid world, for the remote world that we know we're going to live in partially. Um, Shushmit talked about some that Dell is providing. Um, I found it very interesting, the the attempt to improve the conference room space, and that's where you really have to improve things, because if we've lost that ability to have those deep conversations and really find solutions for some of the problems, that conference room environment... We need to recreate that as much as possible if those people are not going to come into that conference room, because then you're really losing something. But um, a lot of, you know, mental health challenges, people not booking back to back meetings, uh, requiring no meetings on Friday. Even we didn't talk about it, but even going to a purely audio meeting from a video meeting to me is a huge reduction in stress or sort of mental taxingness from Mm -hmm. a meeting. Um, So there's a lot of issues there. Um, so just final thoughts, best advice to your uh, colleagues here. Um, John, let's start with you.
2: You know, I think, uh, I think you just have to listen. Uh, listen to what your teams are saying uh, and just be open to, to the challenges that uh, they're experiencing. And, and just be, be candid. Um, there's some things that we'll be able to fix and improve, but there may be some things that you can't. Um, and I just believe you have to really be straight with, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, with, with what you can and can't do, um, and focus on the things that you can and make sure you actually deliver on those. Um, but just, you, you have to listen and understand what people are, where people are and what they're interested in and how they want to work and what their challenges are. And if you do that.
0: Yeah. I remember you saying that in a previous webinar you did with us, the idea of be straight about what you can do and what you can't. Yeah. Right. That'll keep you out of a lot of trouble, right? It will. <laughs> All right. Zafar, your final thought?
1: I would say that changing the way in which people work is still a big change management program. And you shouldn't underestimate what it requires to do that. But at the same time, it is up to leaders in healthcare organizations to understand that you can retrain and work in different ways and be effective. And standing in front of someone, doesn't necessarily mean you can't get the job done or you can't influence uh, the work. So I would say, look at it as a change management program versus a technology program.
3: Very good, Smoot. I'll give you the final word. Yeah, no, I mean, that would be my final statement as well, is that people process technology. Technology comes later. Start with listen to the people, figure out what process is the right, what you can do and what you can't. And then we can always find the right technology. There are lots of good examples in different industries that we can look and pick. But unless it starts with the people, and the use case, and the healthcare, you know, requirements in mind, it's not going to, um, it's not going to be ideal. So I would just leave it at that: people, process, technology, and, and we are here to, you know, partner with you on 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 all of those three.
0: All right. Very good. That's about all we had time for today regarding continuing education. You could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording uh, of this event is ready for viewing. And if you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and go to our website for upcoming to register for upcoming webinars. With that, I want to thank our tremendous panel, Dr. Zafar Chaudhry, John Henderson, and Shushmit Paul. I want to thank Dell for sponsoring this event today, making it possible, and thank you, our attendees. But with that, everybody, have a wonderful day. Thank you.